Take your Bibles with me and turn in them to the Gospel of Luke. Luke chapter 8 as we return to our study of this great Gospel. You remember that we have already spent several weeks in this passage here in Luke chapter 8. It began really in earnest back in verse 22 when Jesus was making His way across to the, across the Sea of Galilee going over to the part where the Gadarenes were. And He crossed the Sea of Galilee and four remarkable events began to unfold and each of those events came with an express purpose. Nothing we have in Scripture is given to us just willy-nilly and off the fly. It is all with a purpose, and this is no less the case. The purpose is that all who were there at the time, as well as all who would ever read these words about these events, that they might get a glimpse at the very divine nature of Jesus Christ. And we might get a picture of who Jesus Christ is and what it would be like for us as believers to be in heaven for all eternity. So that, so that all might have certainty as we've learned in the beginning chapters, that we might have certainty about all that we've been taught and believe concerning Jesus Christ. Within these words in chapter 8, Jesus Christ's power is on display in very vivid ways. Each one of these events represents to us a view into the kingdom to come. A view into what we have in store for us in the presence of the Lord Jesus Christ in the heavenly kingdom, a kingdom in which there will be no natural disaster. There will be no hurricane, there will be no blizzard, there will be no floods, there will be no consuming fires, no natural disaster at all. It will be a kingdom in which there will be no demonic activity at all. All the demons along with the prince of the power of the air, the father of lies, Satan himself, and all who follow him will be cast into a lake of fire for all eternity It will be a kingdom without any demonic activity, a kingdom in which all sickness and all physical disease will be unable to inflict any kind of devastating effects upon those who reside in the kingdom of glory. And it will be a kingdom in which there is no longer any death. Jesus Christ, being God in the flesh, has complete power over any He has complete power over natural disaster. It was He, in fact, in chapter 8, verses 22 through 25, who completely calmed the raging sea in a moment with a word. He did it in such a fashion as had never been done before. 
And just like you and I sitting here today in this room, the disciples that were on that boat that day were stunned. They were terrified. They were shocked. They were amazed at what had taken place because that was the response that everyone has to Jesus Christ when immediate miracles happen. They were stunned. They said, even the wind and the water obey Him. The kingdom of heaven will have no natural disaster because in the center of heaven is Jesus Christ who by His death and His burial and resurrection has abolished all sin and all the effects that are upon nature itself. All of creation groans awaiting for that day of full redemption of all who know Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ, being God in the flesh, has complete power over all the demonic realm. Demons can do nothing without the hand of Christ allowing it. And so beginning in verse 26 of chapter 8, we had a front row seat into the reality of Jesus' power over the demonic world in a moment. He cast out an entire legion of demons with a word. In fact, they were asking Him, don't send us into the abyss. They know what is coming. They know their eternal destiny. And they were asking the Lord of glory, don't do this to us. And Jesus, even in that moment, speaks a word and they're gone. The one in whom was possessed by these demons, the man in which they had been residing in, was completely restored. The unsaved of the community so feared Christ that they'd rather be with the demon-possessed man or the man now cured from having no demons rather than be with Jesus Christ. They begged that Christ would leave them alone. And yet Jesus Christ, being gracious for their spiritual condition, leaves a witness with them, leaves someone there to tell them about what had taken place. And so this cured man now is the first evangelist in the area. That they too might be saved. This is the kingdom of heaven in view. This is the reality of what we are going to experience. No natural disaster, no demon activity in God's kingdom. And there won't be any sickness either. I know some of us here this morning would be gratefully thankful for just that. Jesus Christ, being God in the flesh, has complete power over sickness. He has power to immediately cure any sickness if He so chooses. We saw this in Luke chapter 8 as this poor woman in verse 43 who had been ostracized by the entire community, completely unable to be in the presence of others simply because of her blood issue, which made her perpetually unclean according to the Mosaic law. She would have no worship, no social interaction. She was bearing the burden of economic ruin from all the costs of her medical help. And in the end, no help from mankind at all. Even though she had exhausted all of her resources, she could get no help from the doctors of the day. Only more pain, only more suffering. And Jesus Christ enters her life and immediately she is made new both physically and most importantly spiritually. All of this reminds us as Christians, it is another glimpse into the glories of the kingdom to come. The eternal kingdom of God in which there is no sickness. No need for doctors. 
No need for first aid, no need for hospitals or quick care clinics that we have around the area where we can go to them at any moment. Why? Because there will be no sickness. Christ is at the center of His kingdom, and in Him all the ravages and the effects of sin have been destroyed. This is the glory of the kingdom of heaven. It will be perfect. Perfect. Everything on this earth is tainted by sin, is it not? Everything on this earth that we deal with, everything we interact with, even the beautiful flowers sitting right here before me, as beautiful as they are, are beauty in their fallenness. Tainted by sin, everything on this earth is flawed because of sin. All things, all things are distorted and all things are imperfect. Any of us are confused about that. You certainly woke up this morning and looked in the mirror and you saw that which is imperfect. We looked at ourselves in the mirror and realized quickly that nothing is perfect. But the greatest of all the imperfections in the earth have nothing to do with the physical side of life. The greatest imperfections in all of the earth have to do with the spiritual things. We understand that the greatest perfection of all is sin that is born in our hearts. We are dead spiritually because of sin. In fact, over in Mark chapter 7, Jesus says these very words. Mark chapter 7, verse 21 to 23, He says, From within, out of the heart of man proceed the evil thoughts, fornications, thefts, murders, adulteries, deeds of coveting and wickedness, as well as deceit, sensuality, envy, slander, pride, and foolishness. All these evil things proceed from within and defile the man. Sometimes we think it's the activity, it's the action of a person that really is what the problem is. That if we can just fix their behavior, then the problem will be fixed. We will have a moral society, we'll have a moral community, we'll have a place in which we long to live. If we can just fix the outside of man and fix his moral problems, this is what our world tries to do at infinitum. In fact, today, it's don't worry about the moral issues. In fact, we'll call everything that is immoral, we'll just call it neutral and you can do whatever you want. That is not reality. Sin is reality, and sin has had its grand effect upon all of God's creation. That is why we all know on this earth that there is imperfection. That's why we all know that there is death. But in the heavenly kingdom, it will not be like that at all. One day, one day, gratefully, And graciously, by God's mercy, the curse of sin will finally be removed and everything will be new. Everything will be perfect. That is not fantasy. That is not mystery. That is not mystical as as if some kind of far-fetched hope in the future. That is reality. Pain and sorrow will be gone. The groaning of creation will be over. And all of those who have a relationship with God through faith in Jesus Christ will be gloriously perfected. I oftentimes get asked that question, what will, it be, what will our perfected bodies look like? I don't know. But I know this, it won't look like us now. 
we'll recognize each other. We see Christ resurrected. We can recognize Him in His resurrected body, but it's perfect. It's glorious. Our whole person will be made completely new and there will be no more flaws. In fact, I was reading one commentator this week who put it this way, in heaven there will be no sin, no suffering, no sorrow, no pain. We will never do anything to displease God. There will be no temptation because the world, the flesh, and the devil will be conspicuously absent. There will be no persecution, no division, no disunity, no hate. In heaven there will be no quarrels, no disagreements. There will be no disappointments, no need for prayer, no need for fasting, no need for repentance or the confession of sin because there will be nothing to pray for or confess. There will be no evangelism in heaven. Why? Because there's only believers in heaven. So there will be no weeping because there will be nothing to make us sad. In heaven, there will be no sin or its effects. Now, some of you might be asking yourself, why are you beginning with that this morning? Because God, through His divine mercy, is giving us another glimpse into heaven through the power of Jesus Christ to eradicate not just disaster, not just demons, not just disease, but now this morning, the power to reverse death. Jesus has been reachable by many, as we have seen. He has been reachable personally and individually. And He has been botherable by all who have need. And now, we can pick up where we left off last time we were here in Luke chapter 8. And the power of Christ is inexhaustible. Inexhaustible. Christ is reachable botherable, and His power is inexhaustible. Let me read for us verses 49 through 56. While He was still speaking, some came from the house of the synagogue officials saying, Your daughter has died. Do not trouble the teacher anymore. But when Jesus heard, He answered him, Do not be afraid any longer. Only believe, and she will be made well. When he came to the house, he did not allow anyone to enter with him except Peter, John, and James, and the girl's father and mother. Now, they were all weeping and lamenting for her, but he said, Stop weeping, for she has not died, but is asleep. And they began laughing at him, knowing that she had died. He, however, took her by the hand and called, saying, Child, Arise. And her spirit returned, and she got up immediately, and he gave orders for something to be given to her to eat. And her parents were amazed, and he instructed them to tell no one what had happened. The fascinating account of Jesus Christ and his inexhaustible power to do. What only God can do, you remember that he has already been interrupted as he's going to Jairus' house. Jairus is the synagogue official whose daughter is ill. Jairus had come earlier in this 
scenario imploring him to come to his house because of his daughter. It's his only daughter. She's 12 years old. That doesn't seem significant to us, but it's very significant in ancient times, particularly for a Jewish family. When a female or a male reached the 12 years old age, they were considered an adult. I know some of you young people who are that age want to think you're an adult. You're not. And we'll be sure to tell you that. But in that culture, they were considered an adult. And so she reached the prime of age. She was actually at the age whereby she could be given off in marriage. So if you were Jairus, this would have been the most wonderful time in a family's life. But tragically, here his only daughter is dying. And Jesus agrees to go. And then, and then we get this interruption. This woman grabs him and he goes through this profound exchange with this woman who had this blood issue for numerous years that no one could help. And by the time he's finished with this woman and has restored her fully, both physically as well as spiritually, as verse 48 says, he says to her, daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace. So when he's speaking of her wellness, he's not simply only speaking of the disease that he cured in a moment, but also her spiritual life, which is why he says, go in peace. You have peace with God. By the time she's, he's done with her, while he's still speaking with her, in fact, having stopped for this momentary event, stopping his movement as he's proceeding to Jairus' house, and Jairus, no doubt, would have been even more stressed by now, more anxious than ever, right? He had already been with the people waiting at the shoreline as Jesus had gone across the Sea of Galilee and was coming back that way. He's waiting on the shore in Capernaum since Jesus has left with all the people. The crowd is still waiting there. We don't know how long the girl would have been ill, but Jairus would be growing more anxious and more anxious as time had gone on because Jesus needs to be there, at least in his mind. And so Jesus starts to go with Jairus. Jesus is hindered by the crowd And then he gets stopped by this woman and Jairus' anxiety level surely would have been at the peak. He would have been anxious to the max. Jesus, why are we stopping? I mean, surely that was going through his mind. And listen, right at this moment, the worst possible development happens. As Jesus is still speaking to this woman, And those around her that he's talking to in the crowd, verse 49 tells us, while he's still speaking, someone came from the house and said, your daughter has died. Don't trouble the teacher anymore. Crushing news. Somebody comes we're not told who it was, but somebody from the house comes to report the Drastic, dire news. Jairus, your daughter has died. You're reading this text and you get to this point, your heart sinks for Jairus. He just lost his daughter. 
the worst has happened, right? The bothersome delay has proven to be, at least from all human perspective, a deadly delay. If Jesus simply would not have delayed, possibly, quite possibly, Jairus' daughter could have lived. All of the pressure from the crowd, his concern for this diseased woman, all of it has brought about the worst possible ending. The worst possible scenario has come about. While Jesus is graciously giving himself to the outcast woman, while Jesus is helping that which is the lowliest in the crowd, the the woman who couldn't even worship with her people because of her uncleanness, He's giving Himself to her, the child of this most important, most prominent person in the town, the synagogue official, Jairus' daughter. And caring for this woman, Jairus' daughter now dies. Kind of reminds me of John chapter 11. I'll just read it to you. This is an astounding account to me. I was thinking of it this week and talking with Someone as I was meeting with them. John chapter 11, of course, we know it well. It's the death of Lazarus. John chapter 11 says this, A certain man was sick, Lazarus of Bethany, the village of Mary and Martha, her, or her sister Martha. It was the Mary who anointed the Lord with ointment, wiped his feet with her hair, whose brother Lazarus was sick. So the sister sent word to him saying, Lord, behold, he whom you love is sick. I mean, the report has gone out. It's like Jairus uh, going to Jesus. Mary and Martha send word to Jesus. They have a relationship with Jesus. Lord, this one you love, this friend of yours, he's sick. You would think Jesus, out of His care and concern for those people, out of His love for them, at least from our perspective, would run to them and go, oh, i got to get to Lazarus. I mean, i got to get there quick because my friend is sick. I, I need to do something. But when Jesus heard this, verse 4, He said, The sickness is not to end in death, but for the glory of God, so that the Son of God may be glorified by it. We go, oh, okay, now we get it. We read that. We go, okay, Jesus is, is, is the one who can do this. Okay, Jesus knows what's going on. Okay, Jesus, He loves them. Yes, He loves them. Okay, so He's going to go. He probably is going to go quickly because he, He's going to glorify God in this. Verse 5 says, Now, Jesus loved Martha and her sister and... Lazarus, that's a great verse. John writes that there so we don't forget that because the next verse is shocking. So when he heard that he was sick, he stayed two days longer in the place where he was. Excuse me? Your friend's on his deathbed. You get the call from his sister's. This is a family you know. You know it's unto the glory of God. You you know it's not going to be unto death, uh, or at least in, in your mind you know the sickness isn't to end in death. Which is an interesting way to say it. 
because it certainly didn't end in death. It ended in God being glorified because Jesus comes two days later after he had already died and after he had been put in the grave. Jesus wasn't not only there for his sickness, Jesus wasn't even there for the funeral. Is it any wonder that Martha and Mary run to Jesus when he comes and says, if you've been here, if you've been here, he wouldn't, he wouldn't have died. Of course, we understand the story. Jesus clearly says to them, if you'll just believe. Jesus loved him and he delayed. Jesus loved Lazarus. He loved Martha. He loved Mary and he delayed. Jesus loves Jairus and Jesus is delaying. I trust in this moment you can feel the drama building. Because up to this point, Jairus is the one speaking to Jesus. Luke, Luke doesn't tell us what Jairus says, but you get the what Jairus says when you go over to Matthew's account, because Matthew tells us what Jairus says. So go over to Matthew chapter 9. I want us to see this because it's important for us in this whole miracle. Matthew chapter 9, verse 18, it tells us what, G, what Jairus says to Jesus. While he was saying these things to them, a synagogue official came and bowed down before him and said, My daughter has just died, but come and lay your hand on her and she will live. A little different way in which it's presented here in Matthew. It's, it's Jairus who says to Jesus, my daughter has died. It's almost as if Jairus in Luke is, is standing there about ready to talk to Jesus again. And the official comes to Jairus and says, hey, she died. And so Jairus turns to Jesus right there and says, hey, listen, my daughter has just died. But can you come and lay your hand on her and she will live? Now that's an important statement for Jairus. You know what that is, beloved? You know what Jairus is doing right there? Jairus is expressing faith. That's faith. My daughter has died. She isn't breathing anymore. She's not here anymore. She is unanimated by the soul that was in her. She's died. But... If you come, you can make her alive. Jairus believes who Jesus is. The one who came and gave Jairus the bad news must not have believed that at all, but Jairus believed it. Matthew 18 or 9, verse 18 says, She died, but you come and she will live. That's faith. That's faith in who Jesus Christ is. Uh, It's against all odds. It's against all human reality. The mind is gone as far as the human notion of making her alive. No way we could do that. But you can. You come and she will live. That's faith. No hesitation. No doubt. Just trust. 
And listen, this is the same promise that Jesus makes to us, beloved. You say, what is the promise? What is the promise that Jesus makes to us? It's the promise of resurrection. Notice back in Luke chapter 8 and verse 50. When Jesus heard, right, your daughter, don't bother the teacher, your daughter has died. Apparently, according to Matthew 9, Jairus turns to Jesus and says, my daughter died, but you can make her live. Jesus says, don't be afraid, only believe and she will be made well. Don't be afraid. Just believe. Literally, in the original language, the, the grammar is keep on believing. Keep on believing. That's what genuine faith does. Genuine faith, real faith, faith in Jesus Christ keeps on believing. So Jesus makes a promise. And it's a promise of resurrection. She will be made well. So here, beloved, we have a picture of what Jesus can authoritatively promise. Jesus can, out of His own authority, because He is God, He authoritatively promises, not just to Jairus, but to all who will believe upon Him. If you believe upon Me, you will live. He promises us life even though you and I face sure death. Each one of us faces eternal death. Spiritual separation from God because of sin. But the promise of resurrection life is offered through Christ. Jesus Christ promises resurrection life. He is the one with the power to make us not just physically alive, but spiritually alive. Jesus Christ is reachable. He is always botherable. And He is completely inexhaustible in His power. Why do I say it that way? Because I, I say it that way because Jesus' power to raise the dead never runs out. He simply says, believe. Believe and you will have life. It never runs out. His compassion to save never ends. By the way, in the current situation right here in Luke chapter 8, it appears that some significant time has passed since she's died, just like in John chapter 11. There is some time that has passed since she's died. We're not quite sure, at least from Luke's writing of it, how much time has passed, but some time had passed because the Jewish type of funeral had already begun. There were already people there weeping and crying and mourning. Notice what verse 51 says. And when he came to the house, he didn't allow anyone to enter with him except Peter and John and James and the girl's father and mother. Now they were all weeping. He's not simply talking about Jairus and the parents of the girl who certainly probably were weeping, but the they there is all the people who had gathered there to comfort them. They were all weeping and lamenting for her. The crowd is already gathered at the house of Jairus, but he says, stop weeping, for she has not died. She's asleep. 
Jews didn't wait long in ancient times for a funeral. Funeral preparations took place almost immediately. Why? Embalming someone was out of the question, so they didn't leave dead bodies unburied for long. In fact, this is why Mary or Martha says to Jesus, look, don't open the tomb. That's, that's going to be bad. He's going to stink already. He's been in there four days. The Jews had this idea that when someone died, if they, the Spirit could re-enter, could come back to them within three days. But after three days, there was no chance of that. Well, Lazarus had been in the tomb four days. And she's like, don't do that. This is not going to be a pretty sight. So because the girl had been sick already, obviously the sickness had been on her for a time. Jairus and his wife were concerned about it. She's close to death because of the sickness. Certainly because of that, the inevitability of death was right there on the horizon. Preparations would have been underway, at least for a funeral. And so when she died, the mourners are already there. They've been called there. And so by the time Jesus arrives, they're there. There's a lot of commotion. The time of mourning is already underway. In fact, if you look at the other Gospels, particularly Mark's account in Mark chapter 5, verse 39, Jesus says, why all the commotion? Jesus comes into the house with the parents, with Peter and John and James, and looks around at all that's going on and goes, why all the commotion? Sounds rather interesting, doesn't it? The word commotion it's an interesting word. It's used elsewhere in Scripture. And it's translated riot. Thorubeo is the word. It means a tumult, a, 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 a disturbance, a clamor, some kind of uproar. In fact, it's used in Acts 20 when a riot broke out in Ephesus because the Apostle Paul was preaching the gospel and all the idol-making shops were losing business. And so a riot breaks out in the city of Ephesus because of Paul. There was screaming and shouting and chaos all over the place. And so that's the kind of environment really that's going on in a Jewish funeral at the time. Commotion, chaos all over the place. Jesus, why all the commotion? And so when Jesus arrives, they're all weeping, they're all lamenting for her, and He says, stop weeping! She has not died. She's asleep. I love that. I mean, you want to look like a crazy guy? Go into a funeral and say that. I mean, I've done plenty of funerals, as you know, and I, I've never had the moxie to stand up and go, what are you worried about? You're not dead. They're just sleeping. Why? Because from our perspective, that's foolishness. And it is foolishness in our perspective because we're not God. But when God says it, you've got to sit back and go, wait a minute, this is different. Amongst all the chaos of death, amongst all the ugliness, amongst all the weeping, amongst all the lamenting, amongst all the screaming, Jesus enters, and immediately, he, what's He do? Speaks a word and brings calm to the situation. Stop all the commotion. Just like He did on the sea. Speaks to the wind and the waves, and they immediately become like glass, and they're gone. I was reading Revelation this week. There's a time in the, in the tribulation time when one of the angels blows his trumpet and all the four winds of the earth cease. 
I can't imagine what that will be like, that all of the earth will have not a whisper of wind. Not a whisper. Every ocean, calm. Every lake, calm. Every river, calm. Not a whisper of wind. Not a leaf moving. That seems like an eerie thought. Here's Jesus walking into all this commotion. He says, stop it. Stop all this. Luke tells us he didn't allow anyone to enter with him except Peter and James and John, those three of his closest disciples who go even onto the mountain and see him transfigured. But here they are again, and the girl's parents are with him, and so they come to the house. They see all the commotion that's going on, people loudly weeping for her. Now what that tells us is that Jesus knew these things were going to be chaotic. He knew it would be like that. He didn't want to add any more chaos, so Jesus doesn't allow the crowd to be there. So from the time they left the crowd and entered the house, now it's just Peter and James, John, Jesus, Jairus, and his wife. And of course, the girl. Jesus enters in to this chaotic situation, noise, chaos going on, and he brings a new view on death. He says, why make all this commotion and weep? Why do that? I think it's interesting. We can't miss it in the words of Jesus because Jesus brings a whole new dynamic to a funeral, doesn't he? Jesus Christ brings a whole new dynamic to the reality of death. Physical death, listen, for us, beloved, physical death is only a temporary thing. When I say us, I mean humanity. Physical death is only a temporary thing. He says, she hasn't died, she's asleep. Listen, this should be everybody's view of death, in fact. Whether we're saved or not, why? Because once anyone dies, their soul immediately is in the presence of God. And they are in the presence of God either to be judged or to be welcomed. That's what death does. We need to think of death that way. Why? Because death isn't permanent. Death is transitional. It isn't final. It isn't the end. It is sleep for the body, but it is not sleep for the soul at all. There is no such thing as soul sleep. I know some of your teenage kids may sleep in the bed and you can't wake them up and they might, you might think their soul is asleep. But they're not. I remember one time when I was in the military over in Germany, I had worked a long, hard day. It was very hard. And we had these emergency drills that would go on all the time. And they'd turn on these very loud buzzers. And I slept right through that buzzer. And my commanding sergeant came in the room, was shaking me and asking my roommate, what is this guy, dead? Finally, I was roused awake. Much to my sadness, I had to go back to work. The soul is not asleep. Jesus says, don't mourn this. Don't mourn this. In fact, Matthew's account tells us that he tells all the people, get out. Get out. The funeral's over. 
They're there for a funeral, and Jesus says, get out, Matthew 9, 9.24. Just get out. Pretty strong stuff. Look at verse 53 with me here. And they began laughing at him, knowing that she had died. I mean, in their minds, he's out, of his, he's out of his mind. Mark and Matthew tell us that he put them out. So he's not just saying, stop all of this commotion. He's saying, get out. Stop the crying. The funeral's over. It's time for you to leave. You can only imagine what they would have been thinking. Is it any wonder that Luke writes it this way? They began laughing at him. What? Are you crazy, bud? Certainly you're out of your mind. No wonder some laughed at him. They knew the physical reality of life. They knew her body wasn't animated anymore. They knew she wasn't breathing. But he puts them out. Get out. The funeral's over. And then Mark's Gospel says that he takes the father and the mother and the three disciples. And he says here in verse 54, however, he took her by the hand and called saying, child, Arise. The Bible tells us that Jesus was given the authority to raise the dead by God the Father. Jesus said of himself, I, I give my life freely and I raise it up on the last day. Jesus Christ has the power to raise life. Some he will raise to a resurrection of life with him, and some will he, he will raise to the resurrection of eternal judgment. Not all will sleep, not all will physically die, as the Bible tells us, but all will be raised. All will be changed, and Jesus was showing that in him alone is resurrection life. You get out, she isn't asleep, child, arise. His power is inexhaustible. Jesus has just come from throwing out a demoniac and on the way over He calmed the sea with a word and then He heals a woman of her physical disease in a moment that no one else could even touch. And here Jesus just speaks a word. Child, arise. His power is inexhaustible. The crowd laughs in ridicule. Why? Because they were limited in their view of Him. They thought He was just a man. Just someone like they are. Someone out of his mind. Someone who's crazy. But that never limits what Christ does. His life-changing power is on display. So in gracious demonstration of his gentleness and his compassion for all people, he raises this man's daughter. He simply commands her to live. The same way He said, let there be light. The same way He breathed life into our existence. The same way He upholds all things by the Word of His power. Verse 55 tells us that her spirit returned and get it, she rose immediately. She got up immediately. Listen, don't miss that Word because that Word is in every one of the miracles. 
Not always translated immediately, but it's there. She gets up immediately. Remember the woman? And she had been immediately healed. Verse 47. The demoniac, when he casts them out, they immediately leave. They implore him, don't send us into the abyss. Verse 32, there was a herd of swine feeding on the mountain and the demons implored him to permit them to enter the swine. And he gave them permission and the demons came out. It's, it's an immediate action. Jesus speaks a word to the wind and the waves and they immediately become calm. This is the way it is with the power of God. This is always how true miracles happen, beloved. We don't have to be confused about is this a miracle or is that a miracle? Is this face on the cheese sandwich that the Catholic Church puts out there all the time? Some kind of foolishness in the clouds or whatever. Is this a miracle? Listen, it's always this is how miracles happen. Miracles are always complete and always immediate. You see that in all these events. That means that Jesus took her departed soul her departed spirit, and He put it back into her lifeless body. Child, arise. And she began to physically live. Does that blow you away? That was me. Absolutely blows me away. From sickness unto death to immediate life. No rehab. No lingering weakness. Just instantaneous healthy life. If you're not astounded, then you ought to be. Because that's exactly what happens in the spiritual realm when someone comes to Christ. Instantaneous life. No longer dead. No longer unable to not sin. Now they are alive and they can live in obedience to Christ. And any wonder, verse 56 says, her parents were amazed. Her parents were amazed. Here's how Mark put it in chapter 5, verse 42 of this account. They were completely astounded. I love how the English translators, we, we try to find words that capture all the essence of what the original language says. Amazed, astounded. I mean, we could put all kinds of vernacular in there. They were out of their minds. They were crazy. They were gone. They were so happy they couldn't do anything. They were dumbfounded. That's what they were. The scene has completely changed. It's gone from funeral to birth. In a moment where there was weeping and sadness before, now there's no more mourning, there's no more sadness. Now there's just celebrating and rejoicing. And Jesus has to say, uh, Excuse me, can somebody get her something to eat? Spirit returns, she gets up, verse 55, and he gave orders. Or something to be given to her to eat. In other words, this isn't a ghost, people. This is not a ghost. She isn't just a spirit being. This is your little girl brought back to life. She's well. And to show that, Jesus says, get her something to eat. 
So here again, beloved, here's the inexhaustible power of our Lord Jesus Christ creating life instantaneously. There's a lesson here for us. Jesus Christ is reachable, He's botherable, and His power is inexhaustible. And this is just what the future kingdom is like. No disaster, no demons, no disease, and no death. No death. Why? Because sin and its effects are completely gone. Completely reversed. What a day that's going to be. I remember talking to a man years ago when I was pastoring in Ohio who was on his deathbed. He had a blood disorder. He was surely going to die. He's in hospice care. I said to him, Fred, what do you look forward to most when you die? He said that I will have no more sin. No more sin. Only God could do that. Only God could do that. There's just one more thing here as we finish this morning. Just one more thing. You ever wonder why Jesus told them not to spread the word? Verse 56, he instructed them to tell no one what had happened. You ever wonder about that? I'm sure as I was preaching, you had read ahead and you were reading that verse said, oh, I wonder what he's going to do with this. What he's going to do with this. If you were a parent, how could you keep it a secret? If you were Jairus and his wife, this is your little girl, your only daughter, surely, surely you would say something. Everybody knew she was sick. Surely it's going to come up in a conversation as you're walking down the street with her. Hey, Jairus, what happened? Sorry, I can't tell you. If I tell you, I have to kill you. <laughs> What's Jesus doing? You ready for my profound answer? I don't know. I, I'll give you what one commentator said. I, I think we would tend to agree with what he says. Here's what he's saying. Don't feel like, Jairus, don't, don't feel like you have to go out and tell the crowd. Don't, don't feel like you have to go and spread it around. Don't do that. Why? That's not your obligation. That's not your obligation to go and spread the word around. That's not your responsibility. It's already being spread everywhere. In fact, if you look at the other gospel accounts, that's exactly what it says at the end of it. And word spread rapidly. It's already being spread. Why? Because Jesus came in at the beginning and said, listen, what's all this commotion about? Get out. Jesus cancels the funeral. Surely people would have went out and started talking about that. Everybody who knows there was a little girl who was sick and that she died is going to be talking. The girl's alive. Everybody is going to see that. The word's going to go. You don't have to say anything. You don't need to do that. You know what I want you to do? I just want you to enjoy the reunion with your newly alive daughter. 
Don't worry yourself with the news of this. It will take care of itself. You just simply enjoy your daughter. Just enjoy the power of God. Enjoy the life of your daughter and give thanks to God. In other words, right now, just worship. Just worship God. Worship Him for what He's done. Remember chapter 1? Luke says, Theophilus, I'm writing this so that you might know. Theophilus, you need to hear this. You need to hear this about Jesus so that you will have certainty about what you've been taught concerning Jesus. You go out with your life, Theophilus, and you just live it. Live it. And others will know that you're alive. They'll be asking you questions about your life. You go out and rightly worship Jesus. Why? Because He's the Creator and He's the Redeemer. Because He lives, we too can live. We'll only live if we repent and believe. It's the only way to live. Repent and believe. Guess what He does in chapter 9? Jesus starts to send out the witness. Now it's time to go and tell. We'll see that next time. Let's pray. Father, You are reachable. Never too far away for us. Never distant from a repentant sinner to come to You and to turn from their sin. Never one who is too busy. We can bother you at any moment. We can come to you at any time. There's no sense in which you're ever too busy with the affairs of this world, orchestrating all the details and controlling all the factors that go on within the world where you're too busy for us. Your power is inexhaustible. You can do anything. We know you had the power to raise the dead. You have raised us to life by faith in Jesus Christ. And we know that in the future, our life will be with you in eternity. So we no longer fear physical death. This world is not our home. So Lord, we praise you for that. We want others to know that. We want others to see us as alive in Christ. And we want them to hear of Christ. So Lord, open the door. Give us opportunities to share that. Help us to be faithful instruments in your hand so that the testimony of you would go far and wide. Our desire is simply to glorify you and not ourselves. So Lord, eclipse us with your glory that others might see life and your exhaustible divine power to bring life to a dead soul. Lord, we pray for those here amongst us who may not know Christ. We pray that they this day would turn to you, that they would repent of their sin, that they would no longer be bold in their brash pride and think that they are okay with you when they know not Jesus Christ and do not follow Christ. Lord, may they repent of their sin, turn to you, that you might give them life. Let their sin, death of soul, not be unto permanent eternal death.
Make them alive. By your mercy and grace, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.